I wonder if we could turn our Bibles again to First uh, John, the first epistle of John, and to the first chapter, a well-known chapter of God's precious word. First John, chapter 1, beginning our reading at the first verse of the chapter. First John, chapter 1, beginning our reading at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy might be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen. We know the Lord will add again his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Can we unite, uh, please, at the throne of grace afresh? Our loving God and our gracious Father, we turn to thee in our Saviour's name afresh. We do thank thee for thy mercy to us. We thank thee for that cleansing stream that we have been uh, singing of and reading here in thy word about. We thank thee, our God, that there is a cleansing from every stain. We're glad, our God, that those things that would have brought us down to a lost eternity have been dealt with there at the cross of uh, Calvary. And our Father, we pray that men and women might close in with God's offer of mercy. We pray that they might make use of what our Savior, as it were, has done on the cross. And we pray for salvation mercy as thy word goes forth tonight. Do us good, we pray, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. And my text tonight is verse 9. If we uh, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in this chapter, the Apostle John gives us the basis of the authority that he is speaking with here. He says that he knows what he's talking about because if you look at verse 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. He says that we have heard the things that we're talking about, we have seen the things that we're talking about, and even we have been so close as to be able to touch and handle the one who is the word of life. That word, word of life, 
reminds us of the uh, introduction to John's gospel where the Lord Jesus Christ is spoken of as the word. But then uh, John makes this dramatic statement. If you look at verse 5, he says, This then is the message. This is the message that he's bringing, that he has uh, experienced, that he's an eyewitness of. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And there you have an emphasis upon the absolute holiness and purity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the integrity of the Savior, and the fact that God is light has so many wonderful implications that Paul outlines for us here. Uh, And if the Lord is the light and in him is no darkness at all, then we find that uh, the darkness can be dealt with. Um, he, uh, he says in verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So here's the wonderful assurance that if we walk in the light, and the indication is there that that's a possibility, that if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with the one who is the light and the one in whom there is no darkness. And that means that the darkness of our heart has to be dealt with in order to walk with him. But then there's another implication of the fact that the Lord is light. And that is the fact that if there is no darkness in him, then all of the promises, all of the uh, things that he has said that he will do, he will do. If there's no darkness in him, then all the promises that he gives are in him, yea, and in him, amen. And we have all of these wonderful promises there. You look at verse 7. If we walk as in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We have cleansing. The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth from all sin. Then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he's speaking here in the context of those that deny that they are sinners. He's um, primarily speaking to those who are professing Christians. But we can broaden it out tonight, and we can uh, uh, say that this is a promise that can be applied to saint and sinner alike. And what a comforting promise it is, founded in the God who is light, the one in whom there is no darkness at all. So this is a promise that you can rely upon. There are many things that are promised to you in this world, and they don't—they're not fulfilled, and they—they they are uh, don't come to fruition. But this is a promise that you can rely upon tonight. But I want you to look at the portion of scripture, and I want you to see that there are certain principles here that he wants that to be put into practice in our life. And I want us just to look at the wonderful gospel promise here and about the confession of sins. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And dear friend, you need the forgiveness of God. If you're going to walk in the light with him, eh, your sins are going to have to be dealt with And your sins are going to have to be uh, covered over. They're going to have to be washed away. And you need the forgiveness of God. 
So for a few minutes tonight, we want to look at this wonderful gospel promise. And there are a number of things in the gospel promise that I want you to see. And the first thing is the great problem. He says in the text, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we say, you need to be forgiven because of sins and because of unrighteousness. And I want you to see the definition of the problem. You notice the two terms he uses in the verse, the word sins twice, and also he uses the term unrighteousness. And the uh, word sin there is a word that means to fall, uh, feel, to hit the mark. It's an error of understanding or a bad action. It's an evil deed. It's uh, something that occurs either by omission or by commission. Uh, it is the, something that can happen in thought or action or speech uh, or feeling or even uh, just within the heart. They, these are the uh, places that sin can take place. Now, um, Marvin Vincent, in his word studies in the New Testament, takes the word that is translated sins here, and he said sin is defined by John as anomia. Anomia is the Greek word that means lawlessness. Or as First John 3 verse 4 says, this is still Marvin Vincent, transgression of the law. It may be regarded either as a condition or as an act, either with reference to the normal divine ideal of manhood or to the external law imposed upon man by God. Any departure from the normal ideal of a man as created in God's image, puts man out of true relation and harmony with his true self, and therefore with God, with his fellow man, he thus comes into a false, abnormal relation with right, love, truth, and light. He walks in darkness and forfeits fellowship with God. Lawlessness is darkness, lovelessness, selfishness, the false principle that takes shape and act. Now, that's a long definition of what sin is. But you can see there it's darkness, it's lovelessness, it's selfishness, it's lawlessness altogether. Dear friend, you're outside of the law of God. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. The shorter catechism defines sin as any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. We violate God's law. We step outside his boundaries. We disobey it. And no matter how we try, we can uh, never see sin as God sees it. But I want you to remember that one thing, God hates sin. And God is grieved by sin and provoked by sin. It's the only thing that um, provokes God the way it does. It is the thing that brings unhappiness to man. It is the thing that brings all of the disasters that there are upon this world. And here is this uh, sin uh, that is in our hearts. But it says here, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, the one who is the righteous. We think of the second word here, actually. We're thinking about the word unrighteous. Not only are we those that are sinners, but he says that we're unrighteous. And you'll notice the contrast there 
between the, the unrighteousness of man and the righteousness of God in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is Christ the righteous. And if we want fellowship with him, then we need our sins again dealt with. The implication of that word righteous is innocent, holy, just, meet. We are the exact opposite of that. We are unholy. We are unrighteous. We are impure. And that's the big problem. That's the problem that benights men and women. That goes to the very heart of all that is wrong in your life and in the life of this world in which we live. When you trace it back, the problem is sin. So we see the definition of the problem. It's sin and unrighteousness. But then I want you to see the implication of the problem. If God needs to forgive us our sins and our unrighteousness, then God is grieved by our sin. We know that the Bible says that even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in his sight. And that word filthy there is a, a translation of the Hebrew word idah, which means a discharge of bodily fl fluids. The word rags is a translation of a word that just means a, um, a, 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 just a rag, just a, 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 an old piece of cloth. And he's speaking about a righteous acts. They are just like a, a filthy, bloody rag. That's what it's like. As, he, as God looks upon us, uh, we, that's why we're born from the light of God. That's why uh, we are barred from the presence of God uh, for all eternity and we're lost. And here's the implication that God is grieved that we are separated from God. Our sins have separated between us and our God. And that's your problem, dear. For that goes to the very heart of what you are and your being, and the desperate, and the grief, and the anxiety, and all that benights you day by day, it is the sins and unrighteousness that is in your heart. But not only do I want you to see the great problem, but when do you see the great possibility? And that is that your sins can be forgiven. Those things that benight you, those things that bring such turmoil um, dismay to your heart and to your life, those things that are constantly uh, bringing you down into despair and into destruction, those things can be dealt with. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He can forgive us. The blessed God of heaven uh, doesn't hold our sins over us like the sword of Damocles. It's not like the modern philosophy uh, where there is no forgiveness. If you've been born as a white Anglo-Saxon male, then the only thing that you can do is go away and hide. But there is forgiveness with God that he may be feared. And this is the promise, dear friend. There is forgiveness with God. This world, in this world, there is no forgiveness. In the philosophies of men, there is no forgiveness. But thank God tonight the gospel message is that no matter how deep down in sin, no matter where you've trodden, what you've done, what you have been involved in, the, the very depths of sin you've uh, sunken into the mire and pit of sin, 
But dear friend, the message of God is tonight that there is forgiveness for those that trust in him. You'll notice the meaning of the cleansing. He says he'll forgive us and cleanse us. He says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he says that he's just to cleanse us. The word just there is, means, it means uh, meet or right. And God is righteous. God can be righteous in forgiving us. You say, how could that be? People can't get over the fact that God would save the murderer or save the thief or save the person that has been caught in the very depths of sin. How can God do that? You know, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, it, uh, it addresses that problem. It says, whom God, speaking of Christ, has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for, for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And then he goes on in verse 26. He says, to declare, I said this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in, Je in Jesus. How can he be just and justify the murderer? How can God be holy and forgive those that have been involved in the depths of sin. Well, what does he say? It's through propitiation. It's through faith in his blood. It's because of the cross. It's because he went to that cross and because he bore our punishment. He bore the punishment that we should have um, received. And on that cross, he shed his blood and paid the price of our sin. And now, thank God, You'll notice the two words there. He forgives. Thank God. The word forgive means to bid to go away or to depart. It's like what the psalmist said in Psalm 103 and verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. We can say farewell to condemnation. We can say farewell to the consequences of sin. You can say farewell to hell tonight. You can say farewell to destruction as you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the woman who was, um, came and with the box of alabaster ointment and was going to anoint the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that she was a sinner. Now we're all sinners as we've seen. But this uh, is a special type of sinner uh, the Jews trans, uh, classified uh, people into different categories, and one of them was a sinner. But that meant that she was right down the very lowest. Uh, we don't know what the woman was doing, but uh, speculation over the years has been that she was a woman of the street. And yet the Lord Jesus, the Holy Lord Jesus, let this woman in, and he allowed her to touch her and anoint her, uh, his feet with her, uh, the ointment and then to wipe his feet with her tears. And there were those that were absolutely flabbergasted at what the Lord Jesus Christ was do doing. Why did he do that? Because he was able to turn to that woman and say, thy sins are forgiven. My dear friend, to have the Lord Jesus say to you, thy sins are forgiven. You think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve knew that they had violated God's law. And they knew that they were guilty and they felt guilty. 
and they knew that they uh, could not walk with God in the cool of the evening as they had done before. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord came, and he met with them, and they were able to have a conversation on what basis? Well, the Lord took the animal and shed the blood of the animal, and that blood was taken, and then they were covered over, and their guilt and their nakedness was covered over. And that was just a picture of what was done at Calvary, because the blood was shed, and then were covered over in the robe of righteousness. But thank God tonight, he forgives, and then he cleanses, he purifies, he purges us. The, the word that is used here is the word that we get our word cathartic from, uh, catharsis, and so on is the, the Greek word, but it means to purify from filthiness. And men, women, you'll notice that he doesn't just cleanse us from unrighteousness, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And I'm glad tonight that not mention is left, not one iota is left, when the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We see the meaning of this cleansing. But think about the means of the cleansing. How is it done? Well, look at verse 7 again. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth from all sin. You know, there are many solvents that are acting as cleaning fluids. Many people can't understand how it is that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses them from sin. When the preacher said, or, or that we sung the hymn there, Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Some people turn their noses up and say, Well, that's the slaughterhouse religion. They're depending on the blood of a lamb, depending upon the blood to wash you from your sin. But you know, we think of the penalty of sin, and the penalty of sin is death. And you look back in the Old Testament. For example, you look in Leviticus chapter 17 to verse 11, and it says, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your soul. For it is the blood, it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And dear friend, it is the precious blood of Christ shed upon Calvary that brings about that cleansing that we need. Hebrews 9 and verse 22 says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you cleansed in that crimson flow, that blood that was flowing at Calvary, the blood that came from his hands, from his feet, from his side, and flowed out of the life giving power of our blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And could you lay down your head tonight and say, in all consciousness, I'm cleansed from sin. I'm washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh, dear friend, like God tonight, there is a great problem, but there's also a great possibility, and that is that you might be forgiven. But also there's a great person. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And only he. There's none other but the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is offended. If you're going to forgive somebody, uh, then 
You have to forgive the one that's offended. I could go to that pew and ask to be forgiven for the things that I've done to you, but it wouldn't be any good. I could go to the elders and ask forgiveness for something that I've done for you, but it wouldn't count for anything. You've got to go to the one that you've offended. And who have you offended by your sin? You've offended God. You've offended the law of God. It's God's law that you have broken. And therefore, dear friend, if you're going to have forgiveness, you've got to go to God. No point going to a priest. There's no point going to a confessional. There's no point going to the Pope or anybody else. There's no point in going through penances in order to find forgiveness of your sins. There's no point in confessing your sin to anyone else but the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the one that we go to. There's the great person. But something else, I want you to see the great prerequisite. It says, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when I say that it is a prerequisite, I'm not trying to suggest in any way that confession of sin merits forgiveness. That's not what we meant at all. Martin Luther said that confession is the principal work of faith. Confession comes out of our faith, out of a regenerated heart. It comes, that regenerated heart, and we might have been regenerated just in the moment, but that brings us to confess our sins. But this aspect of confession is definitely part of salvation. John Calvin said that no one can believe with the heart without confessing with the mouth. Mouth, it is the natural consequence of faith. Now, let's think about the possibility of confession. It says if, if we confess our sins, confession merits nothing, but it is the uh, consequence of a heart that is turning to God. And those who come to God will confess their sins. And it's only if we confess that we can find forgiveness. Forgiveness is not universal. To hear some people uh, preach, or some people in the world today, you'd think that everybody is going to heaven, that forgiveness is universal, that we define God as some kind of uh, woolly-headed individual in heaven, and he will just pass us over, and they define love as if uh, it just means that you accept everybody, no matter what they are or what they do. Well, God does accept everybody, no matter what they do. But... You've got to come upon the grounds of confession. You uh, have to confess your sins, and you've got to repent. Uh, confession will include that repentance. Uh, the, uh, it is said that confession without repentance constitutes a fraud. It says in Proverbs 28 and 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So, dear friend, have you confessed your sins to God? You think of the great picture of the great day of atonement. And we have in Leviticus chapter 16, 
verses 20, 20, uh, 21 and 22. It says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and they shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness, and the goat shall bear upon them all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. So here's a beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel. What does that priest do? He comes and he confesses the sins of the people upon the head of the goat. And then the goat is led away into the wilderness, never to be remembered anymore. That's what the Lord Jesus does when he forgives us. He, he, he takes our sins into the sea of his forgetfulness, as it were, and they're never remembered anymore. But I want you to see here that there is confession. We are glad today that there is a way of forgiveness, but it has to be by the way of confession of sin. You've got to ask God to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But not only do I want you to think about the um, possibility of our confession, he says, if we confess our sins, but then I want you to think about the particulars of this confession. What does it mean? Well, the word confess there, the Greek word is two parts. One means, one part of the word means one and the same, and the other word, part of the word means to say. It means literally to say the same thing as another person. In other words, we are in agreement with God. When God says that he, his law is broken, when God says, um, thou shalt not kill, when God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, when God says, thou shalt not steal, we agree with God. We agree with God. When he says that all have sinned, we agree with God. When God puts his finger upon your life, and says, you're a sinner. Then we agree with God. And that is what it means here. The word confess just simply means to agree with God. Sometimes it involves restitution. Sometimes we need to go and speak to the one that we have offended as well as God. Sometimes maybe we've done something on someone, and it means that we go and speak to that person as well. But literally and, and uh, fundamentally, we've got to go to God. As we say, it's not confession, or it's not the confession box, or anything else, but we go to God. But I want you to think about the extent of this confession, because there's a difference between admission and confession. Now, there are many people in this world who will admit that they're sinners. If you press people far enough, some are uh, willing and brave enough to say, I'm not a sinner. I, I would do no wrong, or I have done nothing. It's just that their definition of sin is very faulty, and they have a high bar. But when you press people, when you say, well, have you ever stolen anything from someone? Have you ever copied somebody else's work or done something like that? They'll admit Oh, yes, I, I've done that. If, if you ask them, have you looked at uh, the opposite sex eh, with lust in your heart, many will admit that they've done that. But there's a difference between admission and confession. Confession goes another step, and it's the confession that is hard. It is to bring yourself humbly to the feet of God 
and say, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I, I'm not just admitting that I've done these things. I'm not just admitting that I've come short of the glory of God, but I'm coming humbly to your feet, and I'm going to say, I have done with this. This is horrible. This is uh, something that grieves God, and we come and leave our excuses behind. There was a, a preacher one time, and he uh, began to see the pastor, Elberfield was his name, and he was speaking to uh, someone. Uh, Spurgeon told the story of this pastor, Elder, Elberfield. But he's saying that he was dealing with this man, and this man was, he seemed to be in earnest about his soul, and he was willing to confess all of the things that he'd done. He said he was the very chief of sinners. He declared that his past life was an abhorrence. He went on to say so much um, to the pastor that the pastor had hardly an opportunity to speak. He was so filled with this seeming confession. And the pastor looked at him in astonishment. He, say, or, um, he said to him, is then what has been said of you really true? Pastor said to the man, said, what has been said of you, then it's really true. And the man got up, as it were, um, metaphorically on his hind legs. He said, what has been said about me? And then he went on and he, he began to uh, tell about his virtues and account all that he had done for his friends and his neighbors and all the ways that he had been a wonderful citizen and all the confession and all the admission and the fact that he was a chief of sinners suddenly went and there was no real confession at all. And dear friend, if you don't see really the abhorrence of your sin, and if you don't come to God seeking for that uh, wonderful uh, salvation that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, if we confess our sins, if we come to him. In a dream, Martin Luther one time was being attacked by Satan. And it, the devil came to him and ruled a, a, a great list containing all of Luther's sins. And he held it out before Luther. And he began to accuse Luther of these different sins. And on the reaching the end of the scroll, all of these different sins, Luther said to the devil, is that all that you have? Well, uh, Luther, or the devil in the dream produced a, a second scroll. And then Luther said, is that all you have? And then he produced a third scroll with all of these sins of Luther that were being listed. And Luther uh, looked at the devil after he'd listed all his sins. And he said, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. There is a possibility of forgiveness. But it is if we confess our sins. But there's one more thing that I want you to see in this portion of Scripture, and that is the great pardon. There is a sure provision of forgiveness here. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's founded upon the justice, and it is founded upon the faithfulness of God, this pardon. And I want you to see he sends our sins into the place of no remembrance. Our sins or our iniquities, he will remember no more. 
He casts them behind his back. He brings them into the sea of his forgetfulness. In Jeremiah 31 and 34, he reminds us that he will forgive our iniquity and he'll remember our sins no more. He sends them into the place of no remembrance. And then he sends our sins into the place of no recovery. The prophet Micah tells us that he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You know, in England, about two or three miles off the coast of England, there is a place so deep that all the dissolved sewerage of London is released there. There are boats that go out um, carrying sewage, at least in times gone by. And each day of the week, um, except Sunday, uh, they go out with the rubbish and the uh, rubbish of the city of London is pushed, pumped into the depths of the sea. And the place where the pump it is so deep that it doesn't seem to affect the waters surrounding, the pollution doesn't seem to affect it, or at least that's what they, it seems to be. God puts our sins and our iniquities into the depths of the sea. The Mariana Trench goes away down deep into the sea to such depths that nobody really has ever been there, could go there. Such are the pressures that there are. And yet God puts our sins beyond recovery. Are you washed in the precious blood of the Lamb? Dear friend, if we confess our sins, but you must come by way of confession. You must come by way of admission. And you must call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Will you do that tonight? Will you cry to God for mercy and for pardon? And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word tonight. We're glad that God puts our sins into the depths of the sea. We're glad that he puts them in a place of no recovery. We're glad that he puts them in a place of no remembrance. And our Father, we thank thee that our sins are gone if we're washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. And we're glad of that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And we're glad that sinners who plunge there lose all their guilty stains. Give grace tonight to men and women to trust in thee and find thee as their Savior and as their Lord. Bless us now and be with us uh, as we continue the meeting for Jesus' sake. Amen. We'll um, sing that last hymn there, 274, Lord, through the blood of the Lamb that was slain, cleansing for me. And can I say to you, dear friend, maybe listening in tonight, uh, there is cleansing for you. All of the guilt, all of the anxieties, all of the things that sin has done to your heart, all of the loneliness, all of the dissatisfaction, there is cleansing in the precious blood of Christ. We'll um, sing the first two verses of the hymn and we'll stand as we sing. 274.
God and our gracious Father in heaven, part us in thy fear and with thy blessing now. Take us to our homes and safety. Watch over us in the incoming days. May grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, amen.